You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Tevis Trower. She is founder and CEO of Balance Integration Corporation. She's also author of The Game Changer's Guide to Radical Success. We're going to talk about the work she does with companies around culture, around leadership. I'm excited to have this conversation. Obviously, there's a lot going on in the world right now and a lot of need for leaders. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that means and where the opportunities are. And I think at some level where the obligations are for people that are leaders that have opportunities to make change, to make impact in the world. I think now is a really fascinating time to be in these positions. So I'm excited to have this conversation with that. Tevis, welcome to the program. Thanks so much, Bruce. I can't wait to dive in. Yeah. So, well, let's get a little bit of background and, and kind of context this a little bit, and then we can we can kind of get into these subjects. So they're important, obviously very timely subjects, but let's understand a little bit about what your background is, how you got into the work that you do, and then, then we'll kind of dive in. Okay. Well, I am one of those people who came into the corporate world from the other side of the paradigm. My my dad was a Montessori teacher. My mom was a respiratory therapist. No one in my entire family had ever been corporate. Like that just was not part of the mix. But through a series of experiences that contrasted with my hippie, no refined sugar upbringing, (laughs) (laughs) I really got curious about large organizations and about infrastructures where power and impact is really part and parcel of what they do. And it's going to sound funny, but I served in the U.S. Army. I spent a summer doing a service project in Nicaragua. I'm a beauty school dropout. I mean, you name it, Bruce. <laughs> I have probably done it. I can hang with anybody. Diverse experiences. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, exactly. I can hang with anybody. And um, so through all that, at the end of my undergrad, of course, in history, because that's what all hippie kids do, I was like, I think I'm going to go get a global MBA. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Everyone fell on the floor and, <laughs> what? You're doing what? Bounced my way into what was the top global program at the time and um, spent two years off and on living in Brazil, working for GM in strategic planning, got an MBA, came back. The economy was in the toilet. Yeah. It was 2001, 2002, so Black Thursday or Tuesday. I forget which Black yeah, Which whatever horrible economy day that was, that that was that was when I was getting out of um, grad school. But um, 
spend time in a bunch of uh, Fortune 500s, professional services and executive search and, and consulting for Corn Ferry. And through all that, one thing I realized is that really our relationship with ourselves as leaders is fundamentally not only the most important determining factor of, I'd say, a sustainable success and satisfaction for ourselves, but also for the organization. So in 2002, I jumped ship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and started a company really focused on conscious culture and conscious leadership. And um, I've been at it, believe it or not, 18 years later. It wow. will be exactly 18 years on August 6th. And uh, somehow I ended up talking to you about it. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you got here today. <laughs> this is the apex of my career. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it is. It is. <laughs> so let's talk about kind of, so when you come in and work with organizations, work with leaders, what is it that you do or what, what change are you looking to instigate in the inside these companies, inside these organizations? Well, what's really fascinating is there's usually two drivers for leadership or leadership teams to engage with me. One is when there's an extrinsic pain point, right, which is some kind of lack of performance, some kind of change event, some kind of something happening externally that would make the pain of staying the same greater than the pain of changing. You know the old quote, yeah. right? Yeah. The funny thing about high performers is is they never think they have to change until it's a little bit too late. Yeah, right? yeah. So, so a lot of times you kind of got to get to that oh crap moment, which is what I think a lot of us are, are in right now. Yeah. And having to prioritize it under duress. Whereas if we were adopting lifelong learning and really a depth of self-inquiry that, that we appreciated that we are not infallible, which again mm-hmm. is, is a shocking yep. idea, um, then, yep. then we'd be doing this all along. So that's one that or one kind of scenario th- through which companies um, engage us. The other is when the leader himself or herself, usually the CEO, has some kind of recognition that things aren't working. Yeah. And that's actually the best time, right? Uh, the combination of the two is where you not only have that kind of leadership buy-in, but you also have the forces of market change or the change event or in this case, the pandemic, (laughs) (laughs) to really kind of to underscore and to navigate with, right? Because obviously that becomes a part of the conversation, but, but the real foundation of what change is needed is usually far beyond whatever that extrinsic event is. So that's usually how companies reach out to us. Yeah. And I mean, let's talk a little bit about leadership because I think, I mean, you mentioned it here. We're in the middle of this pandemic and, or, I mean, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll say middle. I think one of the challenges of this pandemic is we don't know we exactly. Don't know. It's, it's a soft, it's a very soft start. I don't, we don't know if or when it's going to end. I know. We <laughs> just know really, we just really hope it's not still the beginning, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, and I, and I think that's obviously hugely unfortunate and devastating for so many people personally, economically, and, you know, it's impacted so many businesses, but it is a fascinating exploration around leadership because it is, it really, I think, highlights or, or questions, I think, a lot of people's understanding 
understanding of what leadership is. And and I think a lot of people kind of take this approach of leadership as knowing what to do, knowing what the situation is, having the right answers, showing confidence, like all these kind of things. And and you just cannot do that right now. I mean, there's anyone who shows up like that as a leader is either going to be you know seen as delusional <laughs> or or just egotistical, right? Like they are just overly confident in their own capabilities to to show up like that given the situation in the world. Well, all that that you just said is actually to me the textbook definition of the recipe for imposter syndrome. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, so and, and let's explain that for folks that don't that aren't familiar with that term. So, when we talk about imposter syndrome, when we talk about leadership and coaching and things like that, what are we referring to? Well, this is going to be an interesting. He said, she said, right? Uh, because because I, I'm just curious how you define it. So, what I have seen in working with high performers and senior leaders is that even though we get exposed to all these great ideas that we see on the cover of Harvard business review and probably in your column wherever you publish stuff mm-hmm. etc and every other like executive coach that has a column in Forbes or whatever we're all being exposed to these great humanistic approaches to leadership coaching centric approaches to leadership collaborative approaches to leadership vulnerability authenticity like all these you know $20 words and the reality is that for many of us The fear-based leadership is what we are or we have been indoctrinated with from very, very, very young. And this idea of maintaining face, this idea of uh, command and control, this idea that, that you better look strong, those ideas have really been embedded. And it's not just because of our culture, it's also because of our nervous system. So what happens is if you're motivated to participate in society in a way that involves relationship, power-based relationships with others, a lot of times you are so motivated to check all those boxes that, that have you hold face that along the way you're actually kind of amputating or curating or cutting off, right, right? Yeah. decapitating a lot of aspects of what is actually your power and what is actually a source of insight and wisdom for you for fear of looking weak. Mm-hmm. And it keeps us from being able to inspire. It keeps us from being able to generate collaborative ideation. So there's a lot that kind of backfires from it. But to me, imposter syndrome is when you think you have to be something other than what you are to succeed. Yeah. Yeah. I always like to say it's that moment where you're thinking, if they only knew what's going through my head right now, they wouldn't let me have this job. Yeah. Right. It's like when your head is more focused on how other people think you should be showing up or how or the the how they think you're doing things or what's going on in your head when you when you really have you don't have that confidence, you don't have absolute control or certainty around things and you're trying to project that and that becomes a bind. Right? Yeah. That, that puts you in a leadership bind. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So so what's the alternative? Right. So if this you know, if this model, this mode of leadership of fear-based kind of absolute control, we'll call it, you know, one around kind of control and force of will kind of model, you know, obviously doesn't work or maybe not so obviously, but I would say it doesn't work in these kind of situations. What is the alternative? What else can we do? Well, so I think there are a lot of terms for it. I think that the real question is, how do I be as fully human as I truly am? And I, I don't mean 
by that that you bring all your neuroses to, to work. <laughs> like, exactly. like, oh my God! Ah, not, yeah, right? Dysfunctional leadership. I, yeah. No, no. I mean that with the skillfulness, focus of purpose, and alignment of action with whatever the mission and the vision is, that we work collaboratively as true human beings to get things done. And I think that there are a lot of models for that. My friend Raj Sisodia wrote a book called Firms of Endearment. Um, oh, that, yeah. That talks about this good to great huh? is rife with examples of this in which greatness is really defined as a combination of humility and will. And so, so... Do we have a word for that? Well, I think, yeah, go crack open your latest HBR, and I'm sure they have a lot of really cool buzz phrases of what you call it. But what's really compelling about right now and right this moment is, I think for those of us who have felt that voice in our heads saying, oh my God, if they really knew what I was thinking, this is really a great moment to say what you're really thinking. And how do you how do you hear that? How do you hear that voice? How do you find that clarity to be able to be able to communicate that. I mean, I get because I think that's a challenge for a lot of folks. I mean, certainly, a lot of leaders that I've spoken to over the last couple oh, yeah. weeks, yeah, because is it's just kind of it's muddy, right? They've never exercised this muscle. They've never really had to be in the situation. Where do they start? Bruce, I love you so much. It's so muddy. Right? Yeah. <laughs> after after a lifetime of telling that voice to shut up, right? When you all of a sudden turn around yeah. and start to listen to it, well, what you're pointing out is it's a mastery practice, right? This is not for the weak at heart, right? This is people with a lot of courage who realize they are greater than the sum of their parts when they are whole. And so the change that I've looked for and worked with clients on is really an orientation around radical success. And people hear the word radical and they think, oh, it's radical extremists. Yeah. But but the textbook the Merriam-Webster, the Oxford definition of radical is actually coming from your roots. So what happens is I'm pre-oriented to be a leader and I've got the right personality mix to want to do that. A lot of times along the way, I end up ignoring that voice that we're talking about just to get along and to continue to evolve and also because I'm conforming in such a way because I want to be a high performer and I'm afraid if I don't do what's expected of me or what I think is expected of me I'm afraid I won't get the cookie so this question of turning inwards towards what is radically true and redefining success from a standpoint of what is true from the roots for you is a pivot. It turns that whole checklist that all of us have a checklist. I don't care who you are. It turns that checklist upside down or maybe inside out and says, okay, if you are going to focus on your eulogy, right? And not your resume to quote from David Brooks, the the conservative columnist, right? If you were going to build your success around that, what would be true? And really looking at core values and how do you start to align with them right now? Yeah. Not after you retire, 
Not after you get the next promotion. Yeah, but not right on the weekends. Now. Yeah, yeah, not on the <laughs> week. Not only on the weekends. It's fine if yeah. you do it on the weekends too. But yeah. Um, but yeah, during your nine to twelve or nine to five or nine to eight or whatever it is these days. Yeah. Well, and what happens? I mean, I, I think so many, you know, so many leaders are kind of caught in this context or caught in a position where they have defined kind of leadership. They define success. They define those values externally. You know, in terms of the organization or the culture or the context or the uh, politics that they're working within, like to turn that inside out, as you mentioned, you know, start looking internally for that can be jarring. I mean, you could go have to go through a lot of fundamental structural change to be able to do that effectively. Oh my! And when the world is going through fundamental structural change, we have two options. We either dive in or we try and rebuild something that probably the conditions no longer exist for anyway. So, no, uh, but you bring up something really cool, right? And that is that, so let's say that your company has a new vision or you're trying to navigate a new strategy, et cetera, and you start to talk about stuff like this. Like most of these things are concepts that all of us say, yeah, I want a more collaborative blah, blah, blah. We want to be more innovative. We want to be more receptive to risk taking and new ideas. And we want to be able to pivot. And everyone talks about that. Or they talk about having a more human and inclusive workplace. You name it, right? These are like the management flavors du jour that everyone's been longing for, I think, for decades. But the thing is, Bruce, we sit around these conference tables and whether we're C-suite or, you know, just being informed by the C-suite, we hear these concepts and we all nod our heads because instinctively they resonate. But I call that heads nodding disease. (laughs) Because if you're not uncomfortable, you nailed it when you described it this way. If you are not getting a little uncomfortable saying, holy crap, maybe I'm part of the problem, then you have been drinking your own Kool-Aid too long, my friend. Yeah, and that's big, though. I mean, to be able to, as a leader, both sort of hold the somewhat contradictory positions of, I am a force of change and positive impact. I'm also part of the current problem. I mean, that's that takes high-level thinking. <laughs> that's, that's not easy to do. Yeah, but guess what? That's why not everyone's a leader, yeah. right? I mean, you either dig into it or you're a fake there's like there's two ways you can call yourself a leader until the cows come home but last i checked being a leader means doing the tough stuff yeah and what what does the process practically look like i mean is this finding a mountaintop to ponder you know your internal values (laughs) is this journaling is this uh, doing ayahuasca on a retreat i mean what's what's the process that you're using to help people with these i don't know i know a lot of people full of bs who have done some ayahuasca didn't seem to help them (laughs) (laughs) a lot of purging otherwise not much change yeah um here well so i don't think any of those things are a recipe for failure or success i think that what is a recipe for failure or success is saying to yourself as of whatever whatever i have now is good it is not good enough whatever i've done until now is great i'm grateful for it it is not great enough and to really begin to ask yourself these questions about what is the immediate impact I want? What is the long-term impact I want? And what is the legacy I want to leave behind? 
And we have got to start thinking this way as leaders because waiting for that kind of thinking to be imposed on us from others, from the government, from other structures of power within our society has led us where we are. Yeah, it's very it's a very stoic approach. I mean, I don't I don't know how much you get into stoicism or how much you identify with the yeah. stoicism. Oh, no, so they're great. I love them all. Yeah. I'm agnostic. <laughs> I love them all. I love the yogis. I love the Buddhists. I love the Judeo-Christians. But here's the thing, Bruce. Most of them are saying the exact same thing I am. Yeah, yeah. Right. Same They're saying, things. get off your duff uh-huh. and live in alignment with your principles uh-huh. now. Yeah. Not tomorrow, not after you check another box or make sure you, you don't lose a power struggle in your next board meeting or board Zoom or what the, whatever they call them now. Yeah, exactly. But the, but the process is, now back to the process because you asked about that and I'm yeah. grateful that you did. The process is really based around 10 very structured questions okay. that allow you to turn inward not by throwing out the baby with the bathwater. This isn't about having to quit your job um, and go work for Mother Teresa, although if you want to do that, that's a great thing. But the question's really about how do I continue to be this amazing rock star I've always been? How do I take what I've accomplished and actually start to become the human being I've always wanted to be? And through these 10 questions, you really get led into a lot of the ways that we pander to our own idea of what we have to do to be successful and gives you kind of the, the neurological hacking to get around it and to call you. It's kind of, it's not self-help, it's self-kick-ass, I gotta admit it. Okay, so what are some examples? I'm curious about the questions. Well, hang on, I just happened to have a copy here. <laughs> I'd show it to you, but how, we decided to do this without uh, cameras. Really, really, really simple stuff. So there's questions like, how much freedom and power do I have in creating my life? So this is a rhetorical question, right? Yeah. Because a lot of us, by the time we're whatever, 30, 40, 50... We really feel our lives as almost an infrastructure, an invisible infrastructure that's a foregone conclusion. Well, this is my life. This is my track. I'm on a railroad. Yeah, right. So then in each chapter, there's there's stuff for you to turn inwards. There's stuff for you to go to the mountaintop in your own mind, right? You don't have to go to Bali or do weird drugs from roots in Latin America. Um, but, but there's also, each chapter has an alignment assignment. And these are just like walking around practices to keep you from drinking your own Kool-Aid throughout that week. I, I really um, encourage people to take their time on this content because it's short, it's simple truths you've heard all your life but you have not acted on, or maybe only every now and then. (laughs) And so the book's really structured to help you apply a lot of the wisdom that we've been handed down through the ages to build exactly what is that optimal? What is optimal for you? What is, oh my God, I can't believe I'm really in alignment with what matters and with my own potential to be a positive contributor on the planet and to the organization. Yeah. And, and what do you find in terms of, I always find that highly effective people, and this may be my own kind of bias in terms of the people that I've worked with or, or my kind of view of high performance, but I find that high performance people generally have 
some kind of routines, patterns, habits, rhythms that they've adopted that have served them well in doing this kind of work. Is there anything that you've seen that you kind of suggest or you get people to consider in terms of being able to really kind of integrate this into their day-to-day life? Yes. I think that the most powerful practice, especially for people who are doing what you're saying, have a personal best practices that they um, have created some rituals and routines around. I think that while that is amazing and beautiful and that is the foundation that keeps them steady through the storm, the key element to lifelong growth is curiosity. Yeah. Right. A lot of times, especially high performers, people like you and me who, who do the triathlon and we build the business and yeah. we, we study this and, you know, blah, 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 and have a clean diet and all those other things. Like a lot of times those actually are just the foundation for building a great life. And the place through which we pivot is by forcing our nervous system to continue to entertain and to experiment with new ideas Interesting. so that we put ourselves into a course of neuroplasticity all along so that when something like this happens it's not as jarring we've got the agility that's built in i'm not saying that those practices aren't key and fundamental to our resiliency but i think a lot of times they can also lead to a certain rigidness that we think oh that's all i have to do you know i'm fascinated by the neuroplasticity side so i and this is something i've i've played around with where you know for a couple of years and in, in different forms and and i do like silly things like i'll you know i'll brush my teeth with the other hand i'll put my belt the other way i even like on zoom i've unchecked the mirror image on, on my, on my thing, so that I'm forced, I'm forced to see what other people see on me, and I don't. Like it's it's a it's a weird one, but I just find these little ways because I yeah. my 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 underlying theory on this is that the more that I can find ways to challenge my pers- sort of perspective of things or. You know, how, how things are kind of wired and, yep. and force me to kind of do it in different ways, it's going to enhance my ability to deal with cognitive change. Yeah. So I, I don't know what your theory on this is on that, but that's it. No, I think that what's really fascinating is that you can wait for life to force change on you, or you can play with being a lifelong learning person, experiment, try this, try that. I, I mean, so much of this really boils down to identity right, where particularly people who have been rewarded by virtue of an identity they've built suddenly become, like, really defined by that. And so when they scan the world and say, oh, well, that's not me. Not me, yes, me. Not me, yes, me. Not me, yes, me, right? And that's oftentimes the litmus test for whether it's another human being is this like me not like me right or whether it's a litmus test for a cultural experience whether it's a litmus test for a book whether it's a litmus test for music culture um possibilities this is really something that that if we're going to lead the people people always say well how did you see that curveball coming around the corner well i'll tell you how they saw it they weren't attached to what was. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah they almost welcomed it. I mean, I, I think that it's people that are really good at that stuff, they, you know, that it's not a negative thing. It's, oh, not, yeah. it's not something I should fear. It's actually something that I'm 
almost kind of looking forward to like, okay, what's the next thing that's going to happen and how can I use it as an advantage or how can I take advantage of that changing situation? I love it that you said that because one of the, the, the things I realized in coaching high performers was that there's this convention in our culture that life can deceive us, right? Oh, that's not what I expected. Why would life da da da? I've been deceived by life. I'm walking around in this world of hurt. Why are things going this way? Well, they're going this way because we weren't paying attention to what actually was. And so what I love about this leadership mindset that we're talking about is in the moment that we feel that life that life has somehow tricked us, you have to realize the only way in which life is a trickster is in our own expectations. Life is just being life. It's just unfolding. Are we paying attention and above and beyond our um, expectations and attachments of identity? I mean, that's really key. And then go to work and create and collaborate and communicate from that perspective. I dare you. Oh, yeah. I like it. Tevis, it's been a pleasure. Uh, If people want to find out more about you, about the work that you do, about balance integration, uh, about the Game Changers Guide to Radical Success, where do they get that information? They can find me at balanceintegration.com. That's a dub, dub, dub. And they can find me on LinkedIn and on Facebook and on Twitter. I'm Corporate Yogi. I'm not a big tweeter, although I've been having fun with it lately. So Time for change. You never know. We also have um, we have a series of Game Changer Chats every Wednesday. If you go onto our website, every Wednesday I'm featuring a really mind-blowingly inspiring pivoter just from my circle of friends. And it's free and... It's an informal chat like this. There's absolutely no telling what's going to happen in the the scope of those chats. But the book is coming out in August, um, so you can pre-order for you and all your friends. And it's really good for all ages. I got to tell you, this this content works whether you're a 25-year-old trying to figure out what to do after law school or you're a 50-year-old or 40-year-old. Like, it's really kind of evergreen. So Love it. Love it. Yeah. I will, I will make sure all the links are in the show notes so people can click through and, and get those. Tevis, this has been a pleasure. I love the conversation. I, like I said in the beginning, I think this is a huge topic, issue, you know, conversation that folks need to have given the world that we're in right now. And I think I think that's the way we're going to, you know, get through it. Right? Yeah. Is that having leaders that ask these questions and do this thinking and do this work. So, Really valuable. I, you know, lots of great takeaways for our folks here. I really appreciate the time today. Well, hopefully. And by the way, I know that I'm not exactly the like the elevator pitch girl. So thank you for being that kind of person as well. I appreciate it. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Okay. Have a great day. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.